Hello and welcome. This is Meredith Beeson, Director of State Affairs at the Global Business Alliance. Welcome to this episode of the State Snapshots on our Global Business Alliance app. Uh, we're so excited to have William Crozier here with us. William is the Vice President and Managing Director of State and Local Advocacy at BGR Group and uh, previously served under the last administration in the White House. So say hello, William, and why don't you share a little bit about what your role is currently, as well as your last job under President Trump? Great. Thank you for having me on, Meredith. Uh, as you uh, uh, said, I uh, am new in this job. I just started on April 19th, and so appreciate you having me on here and uh, being able to talk about uh, what uh, our work here and what's going on around the country and states. But as you mentioned, uh, for more or less the past three years, I was serving uh, in the White House as uh, Special Assistant to the President uh, and Deputy Director in the uh, Office of Intergovernmental Affairs. Uh, our office is, uh, is and was uh, the primary liaison between the White House and America's state, local, and tribal officials. So uh, all told, we have about 500,000 stakeholders across the country, uh, spanning from governors and attorneys general uh, to uh, tribal leaders, to county commissioners, mayors, and everyone else in between. So we have quite a large universe. And on any given day, we're working proactively to build support around uh, administration priorities, whether that's our the robust trade reform agenda that the president and administration pursued through the USMCA and China agreements, uh, or even on workforce and education, criminal justice reform, uh, and really working with them, uh, not only to build support here in Washington, but proactively in their states and their state legislatures. Uh, the most challenging, uh, um, the most challenging task that we faced, as you might imagine, uh, was the COVID-19 pandemic uh, that began uh, in January and January and February uh, and ushered in the largest uh, intergovernmental partnership and response in modern American history. Uh, we always say that we would uh, not hear from every stakeholder on any given day, but I feel like at the onset of the pandemic, we certainly heard from a majority um, of them on a daily basis and rightly so. And so our office was responsible for helping stand up and coordinate uh, the White House and broader administration's engagement uh, with our nation's governors and with our nation's mayors and county commissioners and health officials uh, in a very uncertain time uh, and really guiding that response and partnership uh, with the White House Coronavirus Task Force. So uh, it was a very busy uh, and continues to be a very busy and challenging environment, uh, but it was great to work with all of these stakeholders, you know, on such an important uh, response activity. So, uh, but happy to be here now uh, at, uh, at BGR uh, in supporting our state and local practice here uh, and continuing to work with our stakeholders across the country on, uh, albeit in a different capacity. Great, thank you, William. Now, states obviously are in the midst. Many states are still in session. I think we're at about 23 states this week with a few finishing up in the next few weeks. So just break it down. What is the state of states these days? No, absolutely. It, as you can imagine, uh, you know, we're coming off of uh, the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic uh, in January and February and really saw unprecedented disruptions uh, across the country. Um, in daily life, uh, in the activities and states. It's the first time in our nation's history uh, that every single state has been operating under emergency declaration, a nationwide emergency declaration, and also the first time in history that every FEMA region was activated in response to this unprecedented challenge. 
And so now where we stand now is the U.S. economy is reopening after being severely disrupted uh, by COVID-19. There's pent up demand uh, and states and governors now are focused on those reopening strategies. You know, how to get workers uh, back into the workplace, how to get their economies open and how to get children back in schools. Uh, That's those are all major topics facing governors and state and local leaders, all the while trying to keep their citizens safe. Uh, continuing to mitigate the spread of COVID-19, continuing the testing, and obviously driving the vaccination campaigns in all of these states. And we're seeing challenges now uh, with that vaccination. But that being said, uh, the latest numbers have over 130 million Americans have been fully vaccinated uh, and about 279 million doses administered uh, across the country. In terms of where states are in that administration and where they stand in vaccinations, uh, by percentage of doses uh, delivered and administered, the top states are New Mexico, Wisconsin, North Dakota, Connecticut, Hawaii, Nevada, and so on. So some states are outpacing others in terms of in that percentage. And so again, those are that's the really big focus right now in these states is reopening their economies, getting people back to work, getting children back in school, but also continuing to implement these mitigation measures uh, and having uh, their citizens vaccinated, you know, to to fully return to the status quo uh, and and get the country uh, moving forward again. So that's the current state of play uh, across the country uh, and uh, uh, look forward to continuing to discuss that. All right. Thanks, William. That was some great insights on what is happening at the state level, specifically related to vaccine rollouts and how um, state legislatures and governors are really focused on reopening the economies after last year. So let's pivot a bit and talk a little bit about the American Rescue Plan. Obviously, huge amount of money coming down the pipeline into states. There was recently guidance released by the Department of Treasury Um, to help states understand how to use some of the federal stimulus coming down. So can you talk about some of the highlights? I I know the document was over 160 pages. This is a massive spending bill. This is um, unlike many stimulus packages in the past. Uh, But can you share some key highlights? No, absolutely. And, you know, the American Rescue Plan, uh, you know, it's a $1.9 trillion package. Uh, That package builds on the stimulus that was passed in the previous administration, totaling more than $3 trillion, uh, which included the CARES Act. Uh, The CARES Act included, as you know, $150 billion for states, tribes, and localities. Uh, This package, through the American Rescue Plan, has $350 billion, and so an additional $350 billion for states, tribes, and localities. That includes $195 billion for states. That includes $45.6 billion for cities. And 65.1 billion for counties and 21, uh, or sorry, 20 billion uh, for tribes, uh, for federally recognized tribes. And the important distinction between the American Rescue Plan and the CARES Act, there's several, uh, but it is the American Rescue Plan dictates the direct funding of the stimulus dollars to local governments. Uh, in the CARES Act, um, because of the way that the legislation was drafted, um, it only it recommended it strongly recommended that states and governors push that funding down to units of local government. And we saw across the country that it was really there was a disparate uh, way that governors handled that. You know, some states would allocate it to all their local governments, some just to counties, some just to cities. 
uh, and some to none at all. And so really that is the one of the defining characteristics of this package is that it does mandate that funding down to all units of local government. Uh, it'll be handled differently. Uh, communities over 50,000, uh, cities over 50,000 will get direct funding from Treasury, and then cities under 50,000, the quote non-entitlement communities, uh, the money will flow through the states for distribution down to those communities. All 3,000 counties will, uh, 3,000 plus counties will be funded uh, directly from uh, directly from Treasury as well. And as you mentioned uh, last week, uh, Treasury rolled out that uh, that long expected guidance uh, and has begun has begun rolling out the dollars. Uh, the last estimate I saw is that Treasury's pushed out 105 billion uh, of that money uh, to eligible entities across the country. And that guidance, of course, has set off a lot of questions, uh, not only among uh, states and localities, but also uh, from the private sector uh, and other public entities around what are the eligible uses uh, of that money. Um, as you saw during the CARES Act, uh, again, guidance was put out and was continually clarified as we went on. Um, there was more immediacy in terms of the um, desire to get the money out the door and uh, put into the economy in 2020. Uh, and that's why you had the deadline of the CARES Act for that expenditure deadline. That has since been extended for CARES Act funds through the end of 2021. Uh, for the American Rescue Plan, these dollars can be spent through 2024. Uh, so there's more of a time frame for states and localities to be more thoughtful in how they implement this. And so not surprisingly, the guidance is somewhat vague um, uh, and should be read broadly uh, uh, when, when, when members or when companies or when states and localities are considering this guidance. But broadly speaking, there's you know, four big buckets that uh, Treasury has outlined as a permissible use. The first one's responding to the public health needs and economic damage, you know, as a result um, of the pandemic. Uh, so addressing the pandemic's economic effects through aid to households and small businesses, nonprofits, uh, and industries such as tourism and hospitality. So really a direct impact aid there. Uh, the second big bucket is providing premium pay to essential workers. Uh, essential employees or grants to their employers. That's another big bucket. So really, you know, supporting uh, the economy. Uh, the other, uh, which was probably uh, the uh, the most sought after and the most discussed topic under the CARES Act, uh, which was not a permissible use, but was co is covering lost revenue. Uh, you saw that uh, much of the debate surrounding the CARES Act is states and local governments um, uh, suffered lost revenues and they wanted to be able to use that stimulus funding to backfill those revenues, uh, which was not a permissible use. But now uh, under the American Rescue Plan, it's specifically contemplated that they can. Uh, and the plan outlines a formula for how you calculate those lost revenues. And I think from a uh, flexibility standpoint, this is probably the most flexible use um, of the American Rescue Plan dollars and how states and localities can employ those dollars, not only in backfilling those lost revenues, but obviously it's freeing up their other resources to use on other priorities that they may have, as opposed to plugging those budget gaps you know, with tax revenues, if that makes sense. Uh, and finally, the last one is making necessary investments or making investments in necessary water, sewer, 
uh, in broadband infrastructure with a particular lens on disproportionately impacted communities. Um, and so really looking at that, that's a real big equity piece there uh, and how this can be deployed, you know, particularly around broadband and end users and looking at some of these water and sewer needs um, in disproportionately impacted communities. So those are the four really big buckets of how this money um, can be spent. And again, I think what you'll see and for your members and, and just generally speaking, um, my experience and our experience in the last administration is is as we go along here, particularly with a longer deadline for these monies to be spent 2024, is you'll see Treasury rolling out FAQs and additional clarification guidance. Um, I know that uh, Treasury's already received hundreds of questions from states and localities and tribes um, that are either very broad, you know, saying, you know, define this term or some eligible uses, or very specific to individual projects in states and localities, you know, as they're looking for that sign off because we have to remember at the end of the road here, there's always the inspector general and the accountability uh, treasury that's going to be looking at how these monies were utilized. Were they permissible uses? How do you track fraud and cut down on that and really utilize these monies uh, under the spirit of the legislation, uh, which is to recover from and respond to the COVID-19 pandemic with a particular focus on the equity pieces of it. So uh, hopefully that answered your question. It's a lot to digest, uh, but you know, at the end of the day, I think the takeaway is all told, states, tribes, and localities have now received $500 billion uh, in, in federal stimulus to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic. Thanks for that overview, William, on ARP. So let's talk a little bit about these dollars. Have they started to show up in states? Are states starting to spend the federal stimulus money? Um, what's the timing of some of this? Yeah, no, absolutely. As I mentioned, uh, Treasury said that over $100 billion has already been deployed in states and localities across the country. Uh, and with state legislative sessions coming already ended or coming to a close, uh, at least or upwards of 10 states have appropriated their um, American Rescue Plan dollars as part of their budget bills or as standalone actions. Uh, these states include Florida, Hawaii, Indiana, Kentucky, Montana, and Vermont. Also, we saw broader bills with more broader authority uh, for the executive branch passed in Georgia and Maryland. And again, I would look at this because also uh, as we move along, you'll see states uh, across the country, their legislat legislatures come back in perhaps for special sessions. There, many of them will be coming back in already as they look at redistricting uh, towards the end of the year. So you will see states coming back in. And again, it really depends on what the legislative and executive authorities are in these states. Some states have stronger governors and executives and some where legislatures play a more active role um, um, across the country. But, you know, I think also as well, it's worth pointing out. Uh, and as I was discussing in the discussion of um, uh, of the discussion of the state of the states, that many of these states, uh, even despite this unprecedented stimulus, um, some 500 billion flowing to states and localities and tribes, all told, many of these states are seeing year-over-year uh, -year budget increases uh, directly in FY21, but also uh, moving ahead looking to FY22. In 46 states, fiscal their fiscal year ends on June 30th, and so we'll move into the next uh, fiscal cycle. 
another important point is as of February 21st, tax collections in 29 states had grown enough to offset initial losses since the start of the pandemic. Uh, we saw some really notable examples, California with a $70 billion surplus. In the state of Georgia, uh, the state took in more than $1.5 billion from taxes, mostly from income, uh, rising income and retail sales during the first 10 months of the fiscal year than in the same period last year. Rhode Island, yet another example, we saw state revenue come in $177 million higher than anticipated uh, year over year. So that's to say that a lot of these projections that we saw about this disparate impact or this, this concentrated impact on states and local budgets in many cases didn't pan out to be uh, as, significant, um, as significant as they thought it would, and states are really seeing increasing tax revenue, uh, which will have profound implications on, on their budgets for FY22. Yeah, really helpful overview, William. You know, one of the last podcasts we did was a little bit of a deeper dive on the specific state and local tax provision that would have prohibited states from decreasing taxes using federal stimulus dollars. And I know that was part of the lengthy document released by Treasury, uh, but any further insights on that particular SALT provision? Yeah, no, absolutely. As you said, this has been a major topic of conversation and you saw it um, uh, matriculating within that conversation when you had you know over a dozen plus attorneys general uh, file a lawsuit uh, saying that this was a you know improperly infringing on state uh, taxing authority. And so in this last, in the guidance that Treasury just put out, as you mentioned, the 160 plus uh, pages, uh, Treasury does explicitly prohibit use of American Rescue Plan dollars to directly or indirectly offset a reduction in net tax revenue due to a change in state law from March 3rd, 2021 uh, through the last day of the fiscal year in which the funds provided had been spent. So if a state does cut taxes, Treasury has said they must demonstrate how they paid for the tax cuts from sources other than uh, the, the American Rescue Plan uh, dollars. And I should have you know, also add to that, not only on those specific tax provisions, but there are other prohibited items that are outlined in this guidance, and they include funding debt service, legal settlements, and deposit into rainy day funds. Um, so again, the idea is to get these dollars spent and moving, but there are those prohibitions, and that goes back to uh, you know my guidance in terms of looking at this guidance that Treasury has put out is 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 more holistically and looking at it from a broad lens. It's very, it has a lot of very permissible uses and there are very few prescriptions on how this money can be used that are explicitly outlined in the uh, guidance itself. But then again, this will be clarified as we move along uh, with Treasury. So I would look at it from that lens. Yep, great. Well, I think we've covered a lot of ground on America Rescue Plan, but let's pivot and talk a little bit about the next round of possible federal stimulus coming down the pipeline. Uh, I know there's been a lot of chatter about a huge infrastructure package coming together at the federal level. What do you think the likelihood of passage and timing? Uh, you know, I've, I've heard rumors that this is going to pass by July. Is that even possible? Well, I would say, and as I uh, we were talking before uh, we began this podcast, I am not a fortune teller, but uh, my sense is, and I think conventional wisdom uh, is, is that we're increasingly seeing uh, the belief here in Washington that uh, an infrastructure package will be done through reconciliation. I think 
at the end of the day, the big question is whether that number is going to have a T on the end of it or whether it's going to have a B on the end of it. You've seen congressional Republicans offer, you know, anywhere up to 600, 800 billion uh, versus the over, you know, uh, near $2 trillion package that the Biden uh, administration is proposing. So as we move forward here, and if this is done through reconciliation, you're going to go through the budget process. So looking at a June, July timeframe for those discussions to come together. And again, a lot of dynamics in play here in Congress, you know, and also looking at, you know, how will this package come together? What will it look like? But one interesting point to consider is, is that in the American Rescue Plan and the dollars that are outlined there for water and for sewer and for broadband, it explicitly prohibits the use of those dollars on larger infrastructure projects. So, you know, your big roads and bridges and otherwise. Now, uh, that, you know, open to interpretation, whether that was intentionally drafted as such to, you know, or unintentionally to drive support for this larger infrastructure package. But either way, it still leaves open that uh, that gap, you know, and there's a big demand across the country, uh, you know, in states and localities for this infrastructure funding. So I think uh, you're going to see, you know, coming out of this, a lot of engagement on it, uh, you know, from states and localities and other in other parties really uh, looking at this issue. And again, what is the scope going to be? Is it going to be uh, limited to hard physical infrastructure like roads and bridges? Or is it going to have a more all-encompassing, you know, um, um, uh, focus as has been proposed by the administration? Great. Well, I know we're covering a lot of ground, but I wanted to throw out one kind of final issue area, which is related to business liability. I know there was chatter at the federal level, but obviously things shifted in Congress and the current administration. And we've continued to see interest in states, uh, particularly, you know, in the last year and even at the beginning of this year around business liability issues. So any general trends or observations in this space, William? No, absolutely. And I'm glad you raised this because this has been a very significant topic um, of discussion in state legislative sessions. Uh, so state legislatures have completed their sessions or they're going to be soon completing those sessions. Some sessions run year round, such as in Ohio uh, and elsewhere. Uh, but we saw a lot of action on this um, this year and even last year. Uh, and it's such an important topic in states, um, you know, and for their economies and as they're starting to reopen. While we haven't seen these lawsuits or lawsuits targeting, uh, you know, coming from the COVID-19 pandemic and these liability questions, they're increasingly going to start uh, coming forth. And uh, so lawmakers see these protections, as you said, you know, these liability protections is an important way to help their state and local economies uh, rebound from the pandemic. Uh, you know, importantly, and really considering this, that the protocols uh, for COVID-19, we were really in uncharted territory. They were constantly changing and evolving as public health, health experts learned um, more about the COVID-19 virus and how to appropriately respond to it. So, you know, generally looking at the whole country, you know, I believe it's more or less 30 states have passed liability shield laws uh, since the outbreak of the pandemic. Similar legislation uh, is pending in, you know, about a dozen more states. And these laws, generally speaking, either raise the threshold for someone to bring a lawsuit uh, in connection with COVID-19 or eliminate the ability to bring a suit entirely. And again, it, it really differs across the country in, in how states have handled this, uh, but it was front and center on a lot of state legislatures um, uh, agenda uh, moving into this 
moving into this state legislative session. Um, so it's I know it's an important factor for not only many of your members, but you know companies and private entities as well uh, as we move forward in this as the economy continues to reopen. Wonderful. Oh, thank you. I know BGR has been on top of a lot of those issues. I shared some of the great information and the work you all were doing last year with members as it was very hot and heavy uh, amidst the pandemic. So thank you again, William. I've got one final question for you, and I like to do this on state snapshots, which is just a little bit related to our members. So um, what is a one member service or product that you've used in the last month? Uh, well, I, that's that is a great question, and I think I can probably get a three for here um, because I recently flew back from Florida on an Airbus made plane plane. Uh, I was listening to Spotify on my way back and I had an Amheuser beer uh, before I landed. So I think uh, I get a three for on that. So hopefully uh, no one's outdone me on that answer. Very impressive, William. You were able to build in three examples of GBA members in day-to-day -day life. So love it. Thank you again for being on our podcast. Again, William Crozier at BGR Group. So helpful walking us through um, America Rescue Plan provisions, as well as prognostications about infrastructure package and even some business liability uh, observations thrown in. So thank you again, William. Appreciate the time. Great. Thank you, Meredith. Really appreciate it and look forward to being back.